Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Marie Curie had often carried around test tubes of radioactive isotopes in her pocket, and even remarked on the fact that they glowed with a, an attractive faint light. It was kind of festive. Yeah, and they kept her hands warm when it was cold out. Unfortunately, mm, short-term benefits. Yes. you got to think long-term here. <laughs> hey, Duncan. Yo! How you doing? The floof is happy. The wifeness is good. Otherwise, I just sort of keep my head down and remember where my friends keep their guns. <laughs> <laughs> because you want them to protect you or like to take them away if your friends start acting sketchy? Bit of both. Bit <laughs> okay. of both. Always know where the guns are, even if they're not yours. Amen. This episode was suggested by longtime insomniac Zofia. Zofia. Remember Zofia from Instagram? She asked that we do a science-related episode. She wasn't super specific. She just said, I want something related to science. Okay. I said, hey, I've been thinking about doing a nuclear power episode, and she felt that that would meet her criteria. Excellent. All right. So <laughs> this goes beyond the usual sort of, hey, insomniacs, what do you want to hear about? It was like, I took it to the board this was of Zofia. Zofia approved. Okay. Nice. And if you learn only one thing from this podcast today, it is that people who pronounce nuclear as nuclear are Satan-worshipping pedophiles. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, we just went, again, sort of full QAnon on that one. But After fair enough. Q episode, that's my new thing. I'm just accusing everyone of being a Satan-worshipping pedophile. Gotcha. Gotcha. You can't prove they're not. No, it's 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 a solid insult. It's it's good. Yeah. One of these days we're going to do an episode on commonly misused and mispronounced words. Only if you want to see me repeatedly bash my head into something heavy. So we're definitely doing it. Okay, sweet. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Nuclear power is easily the most vilified source of electrical power. Yes. More hated than coal and fracking yes. and hamsters running in wheels. I kind of love that one. And while there is some room for debate as to whether or not its reputation is justified, I find it interesting that the people most in favor of nuclear power rarely live within 500 miles of a nuclear power plant. <laughs> we love the nuclear power, but keep it over there. To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. I'm a person who isn't 100% opposed to nuclear power plants mm. in the short term. Yeah. I think they are a necessary evil for now. And I would be perfectly happy to live right next to a nuclear power plant, provided I own a helicopter, <laughs> so that I can get the fuck out of there. A lead-lined helicopter? At the first sign of trouble. Yes. But seriously, I don't believe that nuclear power is inherently evil. <laughs> there are 95 commercial nuclear reactors in America, mm. and they currently provide 20% of the electricity in the country. And because they don't create air pollution, they also provide 50% of the emission-free energy. In America, mm. along with wind and solar and hamsters running in wheels, though obviously there are some nuclear waste products that we'll get to, yeah, which are even worse than the waste products generated by hamsters running in wheels. I mean, that would be poop and pee that smells like a combination of ammonia and something else. The pee is worse because the poop is just pellets, yeah. It's not, there's certain animals that don't have disgusting poop, and yeah, hamsters are one. That's what it is. It smells like a asparagus pee. Really? Every time I pee after I've had asparagus, I'm like, hamster. <laughs> That's not what I think. <laughs> but the nuclear process is not what I expected when I first learned of it. Hmm. 
A lot of people don't know this. Do you know how nuclear power plants create electricity? I have vague ideas. Yeah, it's mostly essentially steam, isn't it? A nuclear power plant is fundamentally a steam engine. Right. Those giant cement funnels are just smokestacks for steam. And at the bottom is a big pot of water. Mm -hmm. You stick some superheated rods of uranium into the water. The water boils, creating pressurized steam, which spins a turbine and generates electricity. Yep. This is an almost comically antiquated process. It's been around since post-tiquity. <laughs> post-tiquity? Callback. <laughs> steam has been used as a power source since the Renaissance era, hmm. and the first modern steam turbine was developed by Irishman Charles Parsons way back in 1884. Hmm. But it's just amazing to me that a nuclear power plant, which we think of as this modern technological marvel, is just a pot of boiling water. Yeah. I mean, essentially, it's just the big cylinder on a choo-choo train. Now, what I'm describing in this case is a fission nuclear reactor. Yes. Which are the only kind at this point that are functional. Hmm. The ultimate goal is for a fusion reactor, hmm. which we will get to later. Okay. Because there are a couple different ways you can create energy from a nuclear reaction. You can split an atom or you can fuse an atom. Okay. I don't know the difference, so. When I first dictated this to my phone, uh, Siri wrote, you can split an atom or you can fuse an atom. Like you make a guy named Adam confused. Um, how many atoms does it take to light up a light bulb? But let's start with the type of power plant that actually works currently, right. which creates electricity via nuclear fission, a nuclear fission reactor. Mm. It's aptly named, I guess. <laughs> Words. So here are the ingredients of a nuclear fission reactor. Mm. You need a big cone-shaped cooling tower, which expels the steam. And at the bottom, you need a giant tank of water. And most importantly, you need a heat source. Building a fire down there would be inefficient. It would consume way too large an amount of resources for the amount of energy it would generate. Indeed. That's basically the original version of a steam engine, like the kinds that used to run on coal. Right. Remember those images of sweaty, dirty guys down in the bowels of ships shoveling coal into the furnaces? Mm -hmm. Nuclear fuel rods are basically those dudes. Yeah, yeah, ramrods. So what you do is you take advantage of the nuclear force which is the energy that binds protons and neutrons together in an atom. The word fission means to split up or break into parts, mm. which makes sense because a fission reaction is what you get when you split a heavy nucleus into smaller nuclei, which results in releasing that atomic energy in the form of heat. Okay, okay. So how does this actually work in practice? Well, you take these rods and stack them together. As the uranium decays, neutrons are released, and those neutrons begin to bombard the nuclei. This is uranium-235, hmm. not uranium-236. Uranium-236 is nuclear waste, um. uh, which we will get to. Hmm. So the uranium-235 releases fission particles and also a ton of energy. The resulting fission particles are basically tiny projectiles that strike more nuclei and create even more energy via splitting atoms in a chain reaction. Hmm. So how was nuclear power discovered and developed, and where is it headed? I don't know. Well, you are useless. Yes. So a German chemist named Martin Klaproth mm. discovered uranium back in 1789 and named it after the planet Uranus. Ouch. Just for giggles, presumably. I mean, his last name was Klaproth. He was already working at a deficit. The science of manipulating radiation begins in 1895 when Wilhelm Röntgen first produced X-rays by passing electrical current through an evacuated glass tube. Fast forward to 1897, and French citizen of Polish descent, Marie Curie, spent years isolating pure uranium, and she discovered the element radium. 
and for her trouble received the 1903 Nobel Prize in Physics, along with a disease called aplastic anemia from radiation exposure. Yes, back when we were discovering these things but didn't know enough about them to protect ourselves. Yeah, it was, you didn't want to be a radiation scientist No, in the early 1900s. No, super pretty. I'm sure it looked really, really cool. But, you know, this is also what we're talking about when they put radium in, like, certain foods and, like, paints. And mm, remember to lick your paintbrush. And, yeah. Yeah, this is like, uh, I specialize in lead and asbestos. Those are my <laughs> areas of expertise. Want your ceiling not to burn? Asbestos. Marie Curie had often carried around test tubes of radioactive isotopes in her pocket and even remarked on the fact that they glowed with a, an attractive faint light. It's kind of festive. Yeah, and they kept her hands warm when it was cold out. Unfortunately, mm, short-term benefits. Yes. you got to think long-term here. <laughs> to this day, the papers and notes from her research are so radioactive that they have to be stored in lead-lined boxes. Wow. That I didn't know. If you want to take a look at her papers, you have to don protective clothing. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. Maybe, yeah. I, don't, I mean, not that I would understand them anyway. You're like, I'm going to risk cancer to read some shit I don't understand. Even if I could just, you know, read them online. Take a picture, bro. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> Ironically, her research led to radiation treatments that actually kill cancers. Oh, I didn't know that either. That's cool. Yeah. Didn't help her. No, bit late on the draw there, but you know, we, you know, we come around to these kind of things. Long-term benefits. Again, long-term benefits, short-term goals. Additionally, quote, on the experimental level, the discovery of radium provided men like Ernest Rutherford with sources of radioactivity with which they could probe the structure of the atom. Mmm, atom probing. Again, this poor guy, he's confused, he's getting probed. I really just feel like Adam is is just suffering with this. Speaking of Ernest Rutherford, Yes. He was a New Zealander and is considered the father of nuclear physics. He built on the research of Marie Curie and her contemporaries to create the aforementioned model of the atom. And in 1904, he wrote, quote, If it were ever possible to control at will the rate of disintegration of the radio elements, an enormous amount of energy could be obtained from a small amount of matter. Hmm. In 1917, he achieved the first artificially induced nuclear reaction by bombarding nitrogen nuclei with alpha particles which revealed for the first time the proton. Huh. I, I would be more excited if I knew more about that kind of science. Otherwise, I'm just like, that was a string of words that I basically understand. Thank you. I don't know why all of these radiation experiments involve bombardment. It's a very combative area of research. Well, you can't exactly hug atoms. If you want to research atomic energy, you have to beat the crap out of some nuclei. What were you going to do? Stroke it lovingly across its bubbly little surface? Why can't you be nice to the nuclei and convince him to show you his protons okay this took a creepy turn <laughs> I just see come you. on little buddy and let me see let me see the proton i want to see the proton chat the neutrons off some underage atom jesus <laughs> show me your proton baby <laughs> it's always the satanic pedophile yeah see they're everywhere same same so just the following year in 1905 albert einstein had first defined the relationship between energy and matter okay i'm sure you'd Recognize the famous equation? Emic. Emic 2. Emic Mark 2, as opposed to Emic Mark 1, which didn't work nearly as well. E equals mc squared gives us the formula for converting matter into energy. Mm. And as we know, energy is never created or destroyed, so if you split an atom into smaller components, the rest of that mass has to go somewhere. Yes. It is converted into energy. 
a lot of it. So much. Too much if you are in Hiroshima or Oof. Nagasaki or Fukushima. Fukushima. Three Mile Island or Chernobyl. Oof. We're running out of, <laughs> running out of places on the planet. I'm, Things haven't gone seriously sideways. Reevaluating my support of nuclear power. At, yeah. Yeah. As one should, or as I know you don't like him, but as Joe Rogan said, wait, wait, it doesn't have an off button. <laughs> it does, though. It has uh, rods that you can pull out, which at least slow the process. We'll get there. <laughs> and sometimes they fail. It's just like, I mean, an off button can fail. Yeah, yeah, but things don't go splody though. <laughs> Depends on what the off button is. Okay, that's currently fair. connected to. Even if you have like a house heater and the off button doesn't work. House fire. Bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not comparing a house heater to a nuclear reactor. Actually, to actually, be clear, kind of did. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> not intentional. <laughs> but it would take another 35 years for Einstein's theory to be confirmed. Hmm. In 1940, Italian American physicist Enrico Fermi, mm-hmm. of Fermi paradox fame, led a group of scientists at the University of Chicago in an attempt to build the world's first nuclear reactor. They called it Chicago Pile One. Because it was a cube or a pile of uranium and graphite, which creates a sustainable chain reaction. Haven't I heard bad stories about Chicago Pile 1? I mean, it sounds bad. Yeah. I haven't heard anything good about Chicago Pile 1. <laughs> Doesn't sound... <laughs> Aren't piles what you get on your ass if you're sitting on something bad, cold, and hard for longer? I'm just thinking lethal weapon too. Yeah, you certainly don't want a pile of radioactive anything on your ass. No, Jeebus. It won't be your ass for very long. Pile 1 was erected on a squash court beneath the university's athletic stadium. Kind of prophetic, because every Tom Clancy novel and two-bit action movie would eventually involve a nuclear device at a sports stadium. Wow, that's true. The pile included so-called control rods Hmm. made of cadmium, which slow down the chain reaction. When you remove those rods, the reaction accelerates. This is the method used to control the heat generated in a nuclear power plant. Hmm. So, again, there is kind of an off button. It's not an off button. It's a dimmer switch. Yeah, kind of. Except you're putting something in. Yeah. You would think you would take something out and it would help with the reaction. But actually, if you put something in, it calms it down a little bit. It's like a sedative for nuclear power. The sedative. Chill out, bro. Here's a... (laughs) I got a rod for you. Just... Hey, pal. Chill out, bro. Why are you melting down? I gave you a rod. The Chicago Pile Reactor led directly to the development of a nuclear weapon via the Manhattan Project. Yes. This was actually kind of the kickoff of the Manhattan Project. And it would culminate in America's dropping of two nuclear bombs, Fat Man and Little Boy, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yep, yep, yep. At the end of World War II in 1945, nuclear power research returned to a focus on harnessing nuclear energy rather than making it go boom. Harnessing nuclear energy, nuclear energy, excuse me, uh, rather than simply saying, okay, nuclear energy, do your thing over there. Dropping a nuclear bomb is like the opposite of harnessing. Mm. It's definitely unharnessing. Unleash. Unleash fat man. <laughs> Unleash the fat man. Nom, nom, fat nom. man, little boy, sounds like. Satanic pedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> In 1946, Congress created the Atomic Energy Commission, the EAC, which commissioned Experimental Breeder Reactor 1 in Idaho. Why breeder? Sounds like way more fun than it was. Yeah, yeah. I would have volunteered to participate in the Experimental Breeder Reactor project, and I would have been very disappointed. 
<laughs> I was told there'd be breeder. <laughs> I was told there'd be punch pie. On December 20th, 1951, the reactor began generating energy. And six years later, the first commercial power plant opened in Shippingport, Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, the Navy began using small nuclear reactors for propulsion in nuclear submarines. Yes. Which is nightmare fuel. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically, for me, that's all my biggest fears in one. Yeah. Drowning, claustrophobia, being trapped in a cigar-shaped underwater bomb. <laughs> no, thank you. Or just, you know, an underwater cigar-shaped irradiation device. Like, you just want to feel your teeth falling out? Hang out. Nope. Not a fan? Nope. No? Not a vacation you want to take? Don't get it. I don't understand why anyone would volunteer for that. That is the worst Thursday <laughs> I can picture. Just what That's normal to some of these people. These people are crazy. I, I would do maybe even the paratrooper thing, diving into a war zone rather than just being confined in a tiny nuclear reactor under millions of pounds of water. I, oh, God. Terrifying. <laughs> I can see him shivering like a chihuahua from here. I need my nuclear rods, my cadmium rods. <laughs> to feel safe. I'm melting down. If you ever want to watch a really terrible movie about, I think, a supposedly real thing, there's the uh, Harrison Ford movie Widowmaker, uh, the Soviet sub, the first time they tried doing this, and it, it did, it killed them all. And yet they persisted. Mm-hmm. You know, props for guts. Yeah. And you're probably going to have cancer in your guts. Props for guts and, and uh, the unwinding DNA in them. And the associated tumors. Right. I, wow. It's amazing that, like, Marie Curie, she had, she died from this, and we were just like, let's, we should look more into that. Well, I'm pretty sure at the time they didn't really know what the hell it was. They were just like, she died young. We don't know why she died. Yeah. I mean, glowy things are cool. Yeah. So unlike energy facilities that burn coal and fossil fuels, nuclear power plants don't release pollutants directly into the atmosphere. Mm. They don't contribute to air pollution. And the consensus among scientists is that nuclear power actually saves lives. A climate change study from 2013 found that replacing fossil fuel energy with nuclear power had saved approximately 1.8 million lives as a result of cleaner air and correspondingly lower rates of lung cancer, bronchitis, etc., Coal, natural gas, petroleum, and hydroelectricity have all resulted in more fatalities per unit of energy as a result of accidents and air pollution. The current estimate is that from 1971 to 2009, nuclear power had resulted in approximately 5,000 deaths when taking into account worker accidents and radiation exposure resulting in cancers. The Chernobyl disaster, incidentally, only accounted for 50 deaths, mm. although subsequent damage has been difficult to quantify. Right. I was going to say, I would love to see your longitudinal study on that because, uh, yeah. I would think it's pretty safe to say that the meltdowns that we've had have been the best case scenarios in a lot of ways. Similarly, there were zero radiation deaths directly attributed to the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear meltdown. Hmm. Obviously, the tsunami and earthquake killed thousands. Right. And the nuclear fallout could have been much worse. It was a very sobering reminder of how dangerous nuclear power can be. And how important it is to own a helicopter. <laughs> Again, helicopters to shit. Just don't be a basketball star. No. <laughs> that was a terrible thing to make fun of. I mean... I apologize. It's all right, Ari. Ari? Shafir. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> now, of course, what I've left out here is that nuclear power plants do indeed create hazardous waste. 
They don't release it into the atmosphere, but all that so-called, quote, spent nuclear material has to go somewhere. Indeed. Nuclear power plants create both low-level waste and high-level waste. Low-level is less dangerous. High-level, kill you. Self-explicatory. According to a Reuters article in the show notes, there are about 270,000 tons of spent fuel in storage worldwide, much of it at reactor sites. It takes hundreds of thousands of years for spent nuclear fuel to become non-radioactive. Yes. About 90% of waste has low levels of radioactivity, but the rest requires shielding and special disposal. Right. Now you got some shit to store. Yeah. And that's the issue is like you can shut down all these nuclear reactors. Great. But you're just kind of pushing the buck down the road because now what are we going to do? Right. And if containment on that ever fails, then you got stuff just sort of leaking into the environment. And that's always super fun. Yeah. High level waste comes from the burning of uranium fuel in a nuclear reactor. It is highly radioactive and hot, requiring cooling and shielding. It accounts for over 90% of the radioactivity. What cannot be recycled is stored in ponds at reactor sites. The ponds are usually several meters deep to allow three meters of water over the used fuel to shield and cool it. Some storage is in dry vaults with air circulation surrounded by concrete. It is vitrified into glass, encapsulated into heavy stainless steel cylinders, and stored for eventual disposal deep underground. I love eventual disposal. We'll, so we'll come up with a way to dispose of this. It's going to We'll figure it out. What do you care? You're not going to be here. You worried it's going to do something crazy, like leak into the water table and poison everyone? Oh. 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 Yeah. It might do that. <laughs> Doesn't there, don't they also produce something like called a radioactive ash or something like that? I, I remember watching a, a National Geographic special about people... Like these guys hauling huge shiploads of this stuff across the Atlantic or the Pacific and trying to dump them in third world countries and then being like, no, we're not going to. And one guy was like, it's totally safe. Don't worry about it. He's this redneck. And he like put, grabbed a chunk of this radioactive ash and stuck it in his mouth like dip. He's like, would I do this if it was radioactive? It's like, yes, you would. And holy shit. That did not come up in my research. Okay. I didn't hear about the chewing of radioactive waste. But I'll look into it. Was it was one dude. But I was talking more about, like, radioactive ash and things like that, but yeah. I mean, radioactive ash could be fallout from a radioactive explosion, or... What's interesting is that a meltdown, a nuclear meltdown, which is what you have to worry about at a Mm. nuclear reactor site, doesn't result in an explosion unless, like, gas lines or something are involved. The nuclear fuel that you have at a nuclear reactor site is not capable of exploding. Right. It will just melt down. The chain reaction goes out of control and it creates more heat than you can handle and basically literally melts everything around it. And then because the radiation is now not shielded, that's what you have to worry about. Right. Yeah. It, it melts into the floor and then the radiation gets out through the places you haven't shielded. And, and then radioactive monsters roam the countryside. That's really what you have to worry about. Is... Really what we're talking about is Gojira. Yeah. And there have been numerous waste storage mishaps. Waste? Storage mishaps. You know, I like to use that word to describe catastrophic events. catastrophic events, yes. <laughs> it's a mishap. In 1987, an old radiation source was scavenged from an abandoned hospital in Goiana, Brazil. Cesium chloride ended up in a scrapyard, spreading undetected and killing four people. Hmm. Around July of 2008, some liquid containing non-enriched uranium was accidentally poured on the ground and into a river at Arriva's plant in Tricastin nuclear plant site in southeastern France. Oops. Yeah. Accidentally poured... How did that... 
come about? Were you just carrying around a, a, a mug of... <laughs> Big-ass barrel yeah. on his back and then tripped on a rock? Sacre blue! I have dropped the water filled with the bad stuff. My bad. <laughs> uh, what is French for my bad? Don't. No one panic, all right? Here's what happened. I dropped a little bit of nuclear waste into the local water supply. Not a lot, <laughs> but some. Just, you can brush your teeth, just don't drink it. It's very good for clean, very white teeth. Woo. They, might, they might glow a little green. <laughs> don't expect your enamel to stick around long. I just, how does that happen? I should have looked more into that because I'm actually curious now. Yeah, yeah. And obviously there have been the meltdowns and partial meltdowns at Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and Fukushima. We will cover those probably in more depth in subsequent episodes. Yes. Those deserve their own. They truly do. The horrors of thermonuclear energy. <laughs> you seemed really, you seemed all of a sudden very unsure about how to say that I just word. wanted to make sure I said it completely correctly. If you had said nuclear, I would have jumped across this table. I know. It made me eat your shoe. It would have been bad. So what is the future of nuclear energy? You're supposed to answer. Okay. I was counting on you to bring that part of Why the research. Why are you still counting on me? What is <laughs> wrong with you? Go. <laughs> and funny. <laughs> yes. And? Luckily, I did look into this. Oh, good. Well, when it comes to nuclear fission reactors, the future is not bright. Oh, good. The future does not have to wear shades. You know the song? Yes, no, I, I got the so, reference. The future's so bright that it has to... Okay. <laughs> you can see yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> so currently, America is the king of nuclear power. Yes. Our 95 active nuclear reactors account for a full one-third of the entire world's nuclear energy, but that could change soon. Oh, good. China and Russia are set to overtake America in nuclear production as the United States increasingly shifts away from nuclear power. Since the 1970s, 34 American reactors have been permanently shut down, and in the three years between 2013 and 2016, six reactors were decommissioned, and licenses for 22 more reactors are set to expire within the next 10 years. That's one thing that always bugs me, is that we do these dumb things to our environment, local and, and otherwise, and other countries are like, yeah, let's do that too. Setting examples. Yeah. yeah. America, the real shining beacon on the hill. The Shining Beacon is... A meltdown. <laughs> three Mile Island. Yes. Meanwhile, there are only two reactors under construction in the United States currently. Hmm. But remember when I talked about no one wanting to live 500 miles from a nuclear power plant? Mm -hmm. I didn't know this. There is one nuclear power plant left in California, and it is about 150 miles from where we sit right now. Fun. Mm -hmm. Where? It is in San Luis Obispo. Wow, of all the places to put it, I would not have put it near a surfing college town. Yeah. Where would you have put it? Near poor people? Let's yes. we don't wanna we don't wanna irradiate the wealthy white surfers. No. You put it near the plebs. Okay, Mr. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one who can dream of power and wealth and privilege to harm people who have nothing going for them. I know the thing is there is a lot of unused space in California. There's like Death Valley. Jesus Christ. Irradiate the shit out of Death Valley. I don't think anyone will notice. There's like five lizards that would disagree. But other than that, yeah, why are we keeping our nuclear power near me? Well, I guess that's the real question. <laughs> I was just going to say, let's get down to brass tacks here. What he's really saying is, why is it that close to me and not cool? I don't want it in my backyard. Nimby. Irradiate the lizards. Yes. 
and whoever else might be there. I don't care as long as they're not. <laughs> you live in Death Valley. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, that was a bad decision anyway. Yeah. What did, you, you don't win the decision-making team. Repercussions. Yes. From the California government website, California has two operating nuclear power reactors at one plant, three nuclear facilities at various stages of decommissioning, and multiple research reactors that are operational or undergoing decommissioning. Hmm. So there are two reactors at the Diablo Canyon power plant, less than three hours away from us by car in San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. And I still don't own a helicopter. <laughs> Got to get on that. Yeah. Save your pennies. That final nuclear power plant in San Luis Obispo will begin shutting down in 2024. So not long. Still plenty of time for some Chernobyl shenanigans. I love it. It's, it's mishaps and Another shenanigans mishap. with you. With <laughs> Do you just ever freak out and have catastrophic failure of anything? Or is it just like, oh, I've suffered a mishap in my pants. This is how I manage my anxiety. Got it. Got Everything it. is a mishap. Got it. Or a shenanigan. Sh- shenanig- just generate. one shenanigan. <laughs> I try not to engage in multiple shenanigans. Mm. One shenanigan at a time. No sh- sh- shenaniganery. I got there eventually. In fact, the previous plant to have most recently closed, the San Onofre plant near San Diego in Southern California, that only closed in 2012 hmm. after a radiation leak was detected. Oh, so they got right on that and uh, shut that bad boy down. So these next four years are going to be slightly uncomfortable for me with the knowledge that I now have. <sighs> You're just killing it, dude. You're like, I love doing research until I don't. I'm not doing any more episodes. I don't <laughs> want to know things. Yeah, no. Knowing things is hard. You know what? I renounce facts. <laughs> so you're <laughs> off to the, the Bible belt to go, uh, go oh, no. be a QAnon supporter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the bottom line is that with increasing emphasis on solar and wind, both of which are becoming less expensive to produce, the country is clearly moving on. Hmm. We are breaking up with the atom as opposed to breaking the atom yes again adam just getting the short end of the stick on this one it's not you nuclear power it's us <laughs> no it's actually it's you <laughs> it's <fully> you. <laughs> renewable energy sources are the wave of the future mm-hmm. they are the new hotness <laughs> literally renewable energy is so hot right now and nuclear is doomed yes thank jeebus except maybe not oh damn it because fusion is also nuclear power. Yes. And fusion is an attempt to bottle a star. Always a good premise, I feel. Uh, never tends to explode and kill billions. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Obviously, one bottles stars. Fusion energy is created when atoms squash into each other and in the process release a ton of energy, way more energy than is released in a fission reaction. Mm-hmm. This is basic conservation of mass stuff. If you bang two cars together... The resulting mass of car is denser and smaller, and there are tires and bumpers and shit flying off in different directions. The tires and bumpers are the energy Mm -hmm. in this scenario. While there are lots of ways to create energy and lots of elements that you could fuse together, it turns out that in particular, the fusing of the elements deuterium and tritium releases a ton of energy at a relatively low temperature. This is commonly referred to as a DT reaction. I love how it's a relatively low temperature. Relative to what? The sun? Right. (laughs) It's a DT reaction, not the same as a DP, which is something different. (laughs) Which is a different podcast, and you can go look that up there. 
Definitely a reaction, though. Yes, there will always be a reaction to TP. Here's how fusion would work. First, you have to create the aforementioned... Uh, oh, I didn't aforementioned that. Let me... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to aforementioned. My bad. Did I mention plasma? No. I did not. Missed it. First, you have to create a plasma. Plasma is one of the four common or classical states of matter, the others being liquid, solid, and gas. There are also states of matter that only occur in really extreme conditions, such as the Bose-Einstein condensate, which only occurs in extreme cold, neutron degenerate matter, which only occurs under extreme pressure, and quark-glucon plasma, which only occurs with the application of extreme energy. The degenerate one also occurs under uh, applications of punk rock. There will be a test later on this, so I hope you... I'm going to fail. ...wrote all that down. I did not. Plasmas exist in various forms. Three common examples are stars, including our sun, lightning, and the inside of a fluorescent light bulb when it's lit. Okay. Scientists can create a plasma by superheating hydrogen gas. Yep. However, you have to contain the plasma. You don't want plasma dripping all over your jeans like barbecue sauce. I mean, if you want to keep jeans and legs. Plasmas, notoriously hard to get out in the wash. Yes. Your mom will be very pissed. How many times have I told you to contain your plasma? Damn it, Shane. Keep that plasma off these damn jeans. You know how much these cost. At least use an old sock or a tissue to sop up that plasma. Ew. The sun's plasma is contained by gravity. Mm. The sheer size and mass of the sun creates intense gravity that holds the plasma together. But scientists would contain the plasma with high-powered magnets. Mm. The force of these magnets would also create the intense crushing pressure necessary to smash the nuclei together to obtain fusion. This all sounds really wonderful in theory. I don't feel as though they've got anywhere near to this, though, because where's the energy coming to power these magnets, and how much is left over after these magnets are powered to power anything? Well, it's interesting that you would say that, because this type of device isn't just theoretical, but you are on the right track, because the biggest challenge is getting enough energy out of one of these to overcome the amount of energy that you have to use to power the magnets. Mm. This device is actually called a tokamak. And the first one ever successfully generated power way back in 1958 in a Russian lab. Huh. The Russians beat us to fusion power. I mean, the Russians and the Germans beat us to a lot of things, and then we just stole their scientists. Yeah. You don't hear about that much. No one talks about how the Russians already had fusion power. Hmm. We prefer to talk about the moon landing. Yes. We don't really talk about uh, Sputnik or... Sputnik, yeah, how they beat us to the space. Fusion power. Fusion power. The moon, damn it! <laughs> You yelled that? I damn near shit myself. <laughs> Don't forget about the moon. Moon? It's a flag. About no one wants to hear about that fucking Sputnik bullshit. <laughs> Whatever. You got a little silver ball with three little spikes and it went bleep, bleep, bleep. No one cares. <laughs> so you came up with power that might be the future of the world and power the entire universe and make everything possible. Have you put a tiny flag on a rock? <laughs> According to energy.gov, Tokamaks can sustain plasma currents at the mega-ampere level, which is equivalent to the electric current in the most powerful bolts of lightning. Yeah. Today, you can also find one at the Princeton Plasma Physics Laboratory, the product of a collaboration by 60 research institutions. But the big daddy of experimental fusion projects is the ITER, International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor. Mm. They could have come up with a better acronym. I would have just called it the really bad, let's hope this isn't a monetary sinkhole idea. Let's hope this isn't a gravity sinkhole that sucks in the world. 
or worry about it. these. Yes, yes. I know you do. <laughs> I like to feed your worries. Why are we messing with nature? <laughs> if we're going to mess with the fundamental thingies of nature that sort of run the universe, maybe do it off the planet? You spent so much time thinking about whether you could do this that you didn't even think whether you, you didn't even stop to think whether you should. Okay. Way, way to go there, Jeff Goldbaum. <laughs> you were so busy trying to see if you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. That was better. Yes, I know. The ITER, central solenoid, will include the largest superconducting magnet ever built. It will produce a field of 13 Tesla and a plasma of 500 megawatts. No gigawatts? 1.21 gigawatts. That seems like a lot of megawatts. 500 of them? I, I love it. No idea. Yeah, I was about to say, two dudes like trying to talk about cars who have no idea. We've been like, is a horse bar really based on a horse? How big a horse? Is it many hands? For all I know, that could be roughly the amount of electricity created by dragging your feet on a rug and then touching a doorknob. When you lick a D battery, you're feeling exactly that much. This stuff is incredibly complex. Yes. The Department of Energy says that, quote, fusion reaction experiments at the DOE's National Ignition Facility at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory require 192 laser beams to align on a DT target smaller than a P. This is like throwing a perfect strike in baseball from a pitcher's mound 350 miles away from the plate. All I heard was frickin' laser beams. <laughs> All I heard was DT, which again sounds like... DP. DP. Yes, I got that. But that does seem very difficult. And expansive. And potentially worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, if they can just get past the fact that these fusion reactors, they're just right now at the, we power ourselves. I think some of them are power positive. Mm. They're putting out more power than they are... Power positive? Taking in. <laughs> they're both sex and power positive. <laughs> they are They are net positive when it comes to power generation. So they mm. are putting out more power than they are consuming, but not nearly enough to power a neighborhood. Right. You know, we're not there. The problem with our current ability to create fusion power is that, as you mentioned, it takes more energy to create and sustain one of these devices than we receive from it. In a chemical reaction, atoms aren't fundamentally changed. They're just reconfigured into different molecules. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a nuclear reaction, you have to actually change atoms into other atoms. And that takes an incredible amount of power to create that kind of reaction. Mm. When you push two atoms together, the so-called strong nuclear force pushes their nuclei apart. It's sort of like trying to push two magnets together of the same polarity. So we haven't figured out how to get the equation to work. It turns out bottling a star, not as easy as you would think. Because it sounds super easy. I yeah. mean, you know, I can bottle a lightning bug, so clearly a star isn't that much far off. We don't have lightning bugs on the West Coast. That is the one real downside of the West Coast. Word. I we saw are... them on the East Coast, and they were magical. Maybe someday we'll have little tiny nuclear fusion reactors just twinkling all over the fields and valleys of California. You guys can't see won't. it because you're hearing this, but I have a look of abject horror on my face. Could happen. It could. It could also happen that if we have those out there, then we might have, you know, we won't have fireflies. We'll have firebirds. Little genetically altered, <laughs> irradiated <laughs> sparrows flying around. Someday we may all have little nuclear reactors powering our iPhones. Okay. And... Then I wonder what amazing cancers we will come up with. What an amazing cancer you've discovered. What an amazing ray of cancers we have now made possible. It's a beautiful future. The future is bright with radiation. 
The future is bright with, with the color of radiation. <laughs> Mostly green. Mostly green. So that's where we're going to leave off on nuclear energy. Good. Leave it where it should be. <laughs> it was not there no more. On a high note. Yes. Feel free to contact us with comments or questions. We will be doing more episodes about nuclear power, uh, nuclear weapons, nuclear disasters, all things I want to explore in the future. But that was uh, interesting. That was, yeah. I mean, it was interesting and also, I would say, more than mildly terrifying. Mm. Um, thank you. I needed new nightmares. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate yeah. that. 150 miles, my friend. I'm less worried about the miles and more worried about the the, the fallout from like a meltdown. I, I don't really. Well, care. I think you have to worry about the miles when it comes to the fallout. I think those two are related. What you need is l- less fallout or more miles. Okay. Either of those things will work. I vote for less fallout. <laughs> That's do I get a vote? Preferable. Okay. But I'll take my helicopter, which is the equivalent of more miles, and also fun. I mean, they are super fun until they crash, and then they're less fun. Yeah. And they're really super hard to fly. Oh, Kobe. I mean, hey, I'm actually thinking of Bill Burr. Bill Burr got his pilot's license, but he's still, it's a little sketchy. I thought he was very good in The Mandalorian. Yeah, he's, he's funny. He's cute. Solid. Yeah. Going off the rails. <laughs> At least we waited until the very end. Yes, to totally just go off fully just <laughs> random <laughs> left turn that spiraled into a circle. Yep. And this is episode like 54 or something. It's got to be 54, 55 at this point. Um, we so have... nothing exciting about it. It's no. Yeah, the not. year is done. <laughs> was, we're in the new year now. If you didn't leave a rating or review, you didn't make the cutoff. No, no. no. You should definitely still leave a rating and review. Oh, please do. clarify. Yeah, please. Don't don't listen to my co-host. He's a little salty right now. <laughs> a little punchy over here. A little punchy. Been studying nuclear power for a while. You just said fucking nuclear. Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> I was just God. trying to see if you would dive over the table. Episode <laughs> done. You son of a bitch. Anyway, yeah, uh, so he's been studying nuclear power for a little too long, and he's a little salty right now. So anyway, uh, obviously, as per usual, rate, rep, and review. Uh, Let us know how big of an idiot we are. Some of you have to be super nerds and can tell us exactly how we screwed up this episode. Obviously, Insomniac's inbox is the place to send that or just to the Instagram. And as ever and always, knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.